And so can I encourage you to uh, turn with me again to Colossians 1 as we work through uh, the passage this morning. And I want to begin uh, by quoting the words of um, an African-American pastor and theologian named Vuri Bauckham, um, who says this, the modern church is producing passionate people with empty heads who love Jesus, the Jesus they don't know very well. Say that again. The modern church is producing passionate people with empty heads who love the Jesus they don't know very well. I don't know whether you agree with that statement or not. Sadly, I think it probably rings more true than we'd care to admit. The reality is that church in our, contempor in our contemporary culture is more concerned about what feels right rather than what's actually good and true and life-giving. And so often, even in good Presbyterian churches, if there is such a thing, believers are more concerned about being touched by a worship experience than about being transformed by meeting with Christ and being conformed to His likeness through His Word. So we must listen today as Paul gives us one of the most marvelous descriptions of the person and work of Jesus found in the Bible. In these verses, we learn two precious truths about Jesus Christ that are designed to inspire and encourage every true believer. Here we learn that Jesus is supreme over creation and sufficient for redemption. Through our big Jesus, we are invited into the big story of the gospel. And our responsibility then is to stay grounded in him alone and live for him with our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. He is sufficient for redemption. And firstly, he is supreme over creation. We live in a world obsessed with image. Image dominates and shapes society. Everyone feels the pressure to conform to certain pictures of beauty, popularity, prosperity, and respectability. And the culture around us uses the power of image to shape us. Think about over the past couple of years how image has been used to encourage us to wear masks and keep our distance. And in Colossae, the dominant image was Caesar. His image was everywhere. And it was used to project the power of the Roman Empire. Rome demanded allegiance and in turn promised peace and prosperity. And the believers in Colossae were under pressure to conform to the world around them, to give their allegiance to Caesar, to prove their loyalty to Rome. We too face similar pressure today. The world around us is seeking to shape our hearts and our minds. The world around us seeks to squeeze us into its mold and demands our conformity to its agenda. Think about how TV and social media are used to promote and normalize what God has said is unnatural and against his perfect life-giving will. So how are we as believers in the 21st century to respond? Well, as believers made in the image of God, our focus is to be completely upon the God-man, Jesus Christ. 
He is the true revelation of God. In verse 15, we read, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Here, we learn that Jesus is the exact representation of God. When we gaze upon Jesus, especially in the Gospels, we see what God is actually like because Jesus is God. God come to live a perfect life amongst his people and to die a sacrificial death for them. In Christ, God shows us his entire self, all of who he truly is, for salvation and sanctification. So we do not need to look anywhere else to see what God is like. In Christ, God has shown us what he is like and how life is to be lived. So we must look to Jesus and fill our minds with the truth about who he really is, and how he lived. We must meditate upon the Gospels and upon his life revealed there and seek to conform our lives to his. Jesus must be the dominant image in our lives. He must shape our hearts and our minds. Jesus is also called the firstborn over all creation. Now, Paul is not saying that God's Son is, being, is a creative being. Instead, the, the term firstborn speaks of a status. Jesus is the, the inheritor of all things. He is supreme and eternal. He's the son of God. And so he's before, above, and beyond all things. He is supreme over the created order as the son of God. In a world where anything goes and truth is often a mixture of opinion and angst, it's vitally important that as God's people, we remember that our God is completely distinct from his creation, that he has ultimate authority over everything. He is the source of truth and authority in all things, all the time. All creation is his. It's under his control. And so only he is worthy of our trust and our devotion think about what that means for us whenever we're confronted with the world around us. Do we allow the world to shape the way in which we view sexuality and identity? Do we allow the world to shape the way in which we shape the way we think about our jobs and our vocations? Or do we allow the true and life-giving Word of God to give us true life as we live in conformity to it? I often use the illustration, um, we haven't that, we're, we're going to obviously be moving house in a while's time and we'll have to unpack our Ikea furniture and we're going to have to try, I, I have a, a very good wife who keeps me right, I think she's kept all our instructions for the, the furniture, but if I try to take that furniture apart and then just try to put it together the way I want it to, it wouldn't work. I need an instruction manual and life is like that too. God has given us the, an instruction manual, yes, the word of God is so much more than that. But God's word does show us how life works best as we live in conformity to him and to him who wrote it. So let's remember that God has authority because he made us and he knows what's best for us. And then in verse 16, we read of Christ's comprehensive power and authority. Verse 16 says this, For in him all things were created, all things in heaven and on earth visible, 
and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And if you take the time to think about that, that is a staggering claim. Consider this truth. Christ is the starting point and the whole goal of creation. Our lives are not about you and me living our best lives now. They're about Christ living in obedience to him, living in conformity to his perfect will, living the way he has designed, a way that gives life. Jesus is the creator of all that is in existence. And so he alone has authority over all that exists. He made everything, so he owns everything. Everything belongs to him. From the microscopic to the cosmic, the physical and the spiritual, the biological and the geological, even the human and demonic, every nation state, political party, president, prime minister, first minister, all are under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Jesus made all things. Jesus has authority over all things. There are no exceptions. We must always remember this is our Father's world and our Savior's creation. Therefore, whatever powers there may be, visible or invisible, they are under his ultimate control. The believer in Christ has nothing to fear. There are no rogue molecules in the universe and there are no accidents in our lives. God is in control of everything, past, present, and future. And we can trust that he will always do what's best in our past, with our present, and in our future. And as if this, this isn't enough to boggle the mind, and Paul's next point will, will stretch us to breaking point because he says that Jesus, the carpenter from Nazareth, the wise teacher who walked the ancient Judea, the one who was crucified with the prisoners outside Jerusalem, well, he existed before it all began. In verse 17, we read, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So Jesus, Jesus who walked upon the earth, who died on the cross but rose again, Jesus is both the unifying principle and the personal sustainer of all creation. Christ, and no other being or impersonal force, keeps the universe in order. Without him, there would be chaos in the cosmos. Everything finds their beginning and end purpose in Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who holds all life together. Jesus is the one who's in control of all creation. So he's the only one who we can entrust our lives to. Yes, we can look around at the world today and wonder at times, is this true? But the reality is that all that is happening in the world today, all that's happening in our lives today is under his control and serving his purposes. We can get downhearted. We can 
become anxious and weary. So it's then we must turn and remember who Jesus is, supreme over creation. We can trust him with every situation and every circumstance, not just in the world out there, but everything that we face individually. And if you think about it, only he is really worthy of our trust. We can't trust in anything or anyone else. Paul wants the Colossians and us to realize that Jesus is supreme over creation as sustainer and creator, but he's also supreme over the new creation. In verse 18, he says, and he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn of among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. The church is a body, not an institution. And Jesus, the creator and sustainer of all things, is the head of his church. As the head, like any head, he gives direction and nourishment. He exercises authority over and provides life for the church. The church would not exist without Jesus. The church will not flourish unless it follows his direction. And Jesus and the church are interrelated. He makes us part of himself and his eternal purposes. If we're honest, our view of the church at times is far too small. The church is not just what we do for an hour or two on Sunday mornings. Consider what Paul is saying here. The church and each congregation within it is an outpost in space and time displaying God's everlasting, all-conquering kingdom. Every saint is a trophy of grace. Every congregation is a declaration of God's glory. The church is called to be part of Christ's work of restoring the world to the way it's supposed to be. Jesus has called us to play our part as we witness and work for the glory of God as his people in this place. Brookside Presbyterian Church is called to witness and to work for the glory of God in the village of Ahoko and further afield. That is your role as members of the Church of Christ in time and space. And we're encouraged to do that when we remember that Jesus is supreme over creation and he's also sufficient for redemption. And I wonder, when was the last time you considered what Jesus actually accomplished at the cross? What did Jesus actually do at the cross? We all know our catechism, we all know our Sunday school answers, but if we look at verses 18 to 20, Paul sets the cross into a proper perspective and gives a fuller picture of the redemption that was accomplished by Jesus Christ. Here we see the cross is about the complete reconciliation of all things under Christ's lordship. In the second part of verse 18, Paul explains why Christ truly is sufficient for redemption. We read, he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Jesus, 
the one who is the beginning in creation is also the beginning, the firstborn in the new creation through his resurrection. In the resurrection of Jesus, we have the decisive moment in all of human history. Jesus' resurrection marked his triumph over all the forces that held men and women captive. In the resurrection of Christ, death is put to death and sin is atoned for. That first Easter Sunday morning saw the dawn of a new hope for humanity, an everlasting hope of death defeated and life eternal. His own resurrection, the resurrection of Christ, is the beginning of the great resurrection of his people. It's the dawning of a new era, a new creation, where sin and death have been defeated and they await their eventual and ultimate annihilation. This is why Christ is the one who's supreme over all. He's the creator and king of the new creation. And as verse 19, Paul declares that the one who defeated death was the only acceptable sacrifice for sin because he was both fully God and fully man. As one commentator has phrased, and hopefully it'll come up on the screen because it's quite a mouthful to take in, says this, Jesus, in Jesus, the totality of the divine essence and power is resident in Christ. He is the one all-sufficient intermediary between God and the world of humanity. And really, that's a, a fancy way of saying that redemption is the story of the hands that place billions of stars into space being surrendered to cruel nails on a Roman cross so that all who would trust in Christ would be redeemed. The almighty creator has reconciled, them to, reconciled us to himself through Jesus, our sufficient Savior. So in the person of Jesus, the eternal, almighty, infinite God stepped into time and space, into the world that he created to redeem us. If that's true, then we dare not trust in anyone or any, anything else apart from Christ for our reconciliation with God and our adoption into his family. Christ alone is sufficient for redemption. Christ, the sufficient Savior, paid the whole cost for our sin. However, we must understand that this rescue plan, this, this reconciliation, was about more than just us. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection had cosmic consequences for every atom in the universe. All things had to be reconciled because all things had been corrupted by sin. And so in verse 20, we read these awesome words. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Because Jesus is Lord of all, no part of the created order will escape the benefits of the cross. Now, let's be clear here. Paul is not advocating a universalism whereby all people are saved. Instead, he's teaching that the final end of Christ's work is cosmic 
reconciliation, the putting right of all things under Christ's lordship. Through the first Adam, sin fractured the entire cosmos. Everything was broken and corrupted, and we see that all around us. But through Christ, the second and true Adam, everything is being mended and eventually returned to the way it was supposed to be. One day, God's people, from every tribe and tongue and nation, will dwell in perfection with their God and glorify Him as one. All because of Christ. Paul is teaching that the death of Christ atones for the sins of His people and puts them right with God. And beyond this, the fundamental truth that there's the reversal of the curse of sin and its impact upon the whole created realm. Christ's accomplishment was so great that, that no aspect of creation can go untouched by what happened at Calvary. At His return, what is now broken in nature will be fixed. The redeemed will be free of evil and pain, and we will dwell with God forever. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Willingly or unwillingly, one day we will all recognize this truth. Jesus is Lord over all. This is what the cross means. A setting right of all that's gone wrong. A defeat of sin and death. And the glorious, eternal, universal reign of Christ. And so if we are in Christ, if we've trusted in him for our salvation, then we are people of great hope. We belong to a Jesus who holds everything together and who's reconciled all things to himself. All things, all places, all times, and all people are under God's control, and he will achieve his perfect purposes in his sovereign time. Yes, we are well aware the stench of sin still remains until that day when Jesus finally eradicates sin forever. But we are assured that the war is won and we will see thing, all things reconciled. Through the cross, Jesus has won the victory over Satan and over all evil in the entire world. So today, be amazed by the totality of Christ's reconciliation. Everything in our world and in our lives will be redeemed and is redeemable. No situation, no circumstance, no person is beyond redemption. We look to Christ. We trust in him. And then finally and briefly, in verses 21 to 23, we see how Paul takes this great picture of reconciliation and applies it to the individual believers. Here we see how utterly hopeless and helpless our condition is without Christ. We see that we are enemies of the Almighty Creator, corrupted completely inside and out, in mind and body, destined for eternity without the sweet and gracious presence of Jesus. And yet, in Christ, we experience true and lasting peace 
joy and hope for this life and the life to come because in Christ we are made holy, blameless, totally free of imperfection. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. The record of wrongs has been expunged. Christ's sacrifice far exceeds and outweighs the weight of our sin. Here we see how completely supreme and sufficient Jesus is. He's the creator and sustainer, the reconciler and perfecter. And so, in response, we must keep our focus completely upon him, minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day. No one else can have our focus. Nothing else is worthy of our devotion. We must look to him, gaze upon him, seek to be like him, and trust in him with all that we have and are. Christ alone is supreme over creation and sufficient for redemption. He is the only one big enough to satisfy our deepest longings and meet our truest need. Let us stay grounded in him now and forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are an awesome God, far above and beyond us in every way. And yet, in Christ, you've come intimately close. And in your word, you speak to us. We thank you in your word today. We are reminded of our Jesus, how wonderful he is, supreme and sufficient. Forgive us, Father, for the times when we don't see him as he truly is. Today, Father, fill our hearts and minds with your truth and help and guide us as we would seek to live for him this day and the days to come. Would he be supreme in our lives, sufficient for each day? We ask this in his name. Amen.